Philly Built is brought to you by phillyzoning.com, which is powered by Anastasio Law. Hi, welcome to Philly Built. I think we could all agree Philadelphia is a pretty historic town. Lots of buildings and places where history was made, but even more places that are just plain important because of what they are, where they are, and how they were built. One of the few things that can protect these places, these buildings, from the wrecking ball is a designation from the Philadelphia Historic Commission. Even properties on the National Registry are still at risk of being demolished in order to make way for the city's great rebuild if the Historic Commission does not protect it. Now, while New York City has 28% of its buildings protected and Washington, D.C., just under 20%, in Philadelphia, only 3% of all properties have any protection from being demolished. And believe it or not, if it weren't for our next guest, Oscar Beisert, buildings and neighborhoods in America's most historic city would be even more vulnerable to the rapid rise of redevelopment. Some call him a radical, irresponsible, interloper zealot. Others see him as a one-man preservation force, putting the city's historic commission and preservation alliance to shame. And he's okay with that, because he's just a Philadelphian, making noise, shaking it up, and causing folks to finally understand the beauty that we have here in the city. After hearing our conversation today, you feel free to judge for yourself. Before we get started, one editor's note about today's conversation. In it, the location of the historic Black Doctor's Row was mistakenly identified as being the 2100 block of Christian Street. In fact, Black Doctor's Row stretches for six blocks, located between Broad Street and 20th Street, along Christian Street. We hope you enjoy today's program. Oscar Beiser, welcome to Philly Bill. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Oscar, your story is an unusual one, to say the least. Uh, we are a native of Texas, and then you ended up going to school at Penn State. Ultimately, you've become, uh, for several years now, a one-man preservation alliance for the city of Philadelphia. How did that happen? Well, um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I suppose um, in graduate school, I was introduced to Philadelphia by a professor. And, um, and one of the courses I took was the art architecture and decorative arts of, of the Philadelphia region. And that really introduced me to, you know, the Fairmount Park houses, Germantown, you know, the, the real, you know, the, the, the primary landmarks of, of, you know, center city, Philadelphia. And, you know, I'd say the flaw of the class was that I was led to believe that, you know, that Philadelphia was, you know, understood the importance of preservation and that a lot of it was protected. And, you know, um, so when I got a job later, I, you know, went, I lived in New York for a bit and then I lived in D.C. for a number of years and then got a job um, 
at, you know, uh, for a federal agency in Philadelphia. And, um, and then, you know, in my free time, I would see, you know, I would explore the city. Um, I was still kind of commuting back and forth from DC. And um, I started seeing so many demolitions that I, and I had been involved a little bit in preservation in DC and um, where I didn't see a lot of demolitions. And so it was a little bit perplexing to me. I figured, you know, oh, well, these are protected, but maybe there's like a structural problem or, um, so that was sort of like what spurred my interest. Um, you know, I think the real, uh, moment for me was, uh, there were some houses, a row of wooden houses, um, across from Penn Treaty Park. And it reminded, they reminded me of that Benjamin West painting of the treaty under the Shackamaxon, like at Shackamaxon, under the tree at Shackamaxon, and where you can see the the houses in the background. And I thought like, well, I know they're not the same houses, but it like reminded me of that. And when I called the historical, and then I eventually saw like a demolition notice on all four of them. And I called the historical commission and they, and I said, how is this happening? Oh, well, they're not, and I call, I think I referred to them as early, early 1800s. And they corrected me and said, oh, no, they're late 1700s. And I was like, oh, OK, great. And, you know, it <laughs> but was they were like, still being torn down. Yeah. And it was like, there's nothing we can do. And I said, well, couldn't you at least try to, like, you know, call the developer and see if they would, you know, maybe keep the front block of the house and then build in the back? Oh, no, that wouldn't be our place. And so then I kind of, you know, then Mary and Ann, the church where Marion Anderson grew up. I tried to nominate that, but it, they already had a demolition permit. Um, and then after that, it, the St. Laurentius, uh, you know, church ordeal, in town. Yep, yep. exactly. That started. And I had seen where they got a letter from the historical commission saying, um, well, you know, this really isn't, you know, we don't really do fast track designations, so we're not going to really be able to help you. And I just remember, like, I was already kind of working on a couple nominations at the time. Um, one thing to remember then was, they not most nomin- there was like I think the year before I got started one new building was designated and that for the whole year for and historic, then I started for historic protection for historic protection exactly yeah, yeah. now how and, many how many have you done to this day oh I don't know maybe uh, definitely over a hundred for sure I mean a lot more buildings than that because I've d- started doing districts and um, a number of uh, you know properties with multiple you know. I did the Lutheran seminary in Mount, in Mount Airy cause they were going to tear down a bunch of buildings there. And then, you know, uh, so there's, you know, they weren't even doing districts. Remember there'd been sort of a, um, a moratorium on new districts after the Overbrook farms, uh, case that was probably 10 years ago. That was before my time. But, you know, we, we have, um, I, in, we have in the city of Philadelphia, um, the historic, uh, preservation Alliance, we have uh, the Philadelphia Historic Commission. Why are you out nominating both of them? You're an individual. You have a full-time job that doesn't have anything to do with historic preservation, from what I can gather. This is not your job, but somehow you are nominating more properties than both of them. I mean, it's such an old world city, and I think, you know, it gets a bad rap, um, you know, as I as I mentioned to you offline, you know, it's, um, you know, I I think when I was on a trip in college, I'd sort of come to Philadelphia begrudgingly just to see Independence Hall. And then we just got back in the car and left. And it's like, once you started, once I started to, you know, be here for work and explore it more, you know, adding on to what I'd learned about it in college, you know, I really sort of, 
it, it has a sort of romance about it. It's, it's a, it has an old world feeling. And so for yeah. me, like seeing it get demolished is like taking a, a part of my heart away. So I, I guess like, I, I like, you know, I get the reputation of a one man band, but it's, it's, you know, I do have other people that work on the nominations too. So, you know, I guess, you know, I've been able to sort of tie into, you know, the community and get other people to contribute certain things. I mean, it's still like a, a bit of a ragtag group um, and everyone's busy. So I don't know. It's hard, hard for me to answer that question. Um, it's okay. Philadelphia is, I think, arguably the most historic city in America. Uh, and yet, we have the least, some of the least historic protections, uh, two to three percent. If I'm not, uh, if I'm not overstating it, two to three percent of the current properties in the city of Philadelphia are protected. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was like at the time I was on the mayor's task force, um, it was like two point two percent, but they have designated some pretty big districts since then. So maybe it's like let's say it's three now. Um, now Manhattan has a, about 28 to 30% of its properties. Uh, Baltimore, over 6%. DC, which is a far younger city than Philadelphia, 20% of its properties are historically protected. Right, and many what, cities what, also have demolition protection. What are we doing wrong here? Well, I think we, we don't have the political will to, um, you know, we don't have the political will. We have sort of an absence in municipal leadership um, at many levels to recognize the importance of Philadelphia and the importance of preserving our built environment. I mean, we have a lot of other problems in the city that um, are obviously more important than preservation. Solving them are more important than preservation. I mean, the you know, but my argument really is, is that this isn't a that hard of a problem to fix. You know, you 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 come up with some different policies. You know, it doesn't mean that everything has to be designated, but maybe you have a demolition, you know, review. You have a certificate of appropriateness that you know somebody fills out when they when they file for a demolition permit, and and maybe you're doing those reviews of designation. You know, you're doing sort of a backwards approach to it. That's what they do in in, in Boston and and some other cities. Um, I mean, we just do not have the political will here. I mean, you see, even when something like Doctors Row was um, threatened. That's the uh, 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 2100 uh, block, I believe, of Christian Street. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And, you know, there's a little bit of an argument of whether it actually is a Doctors Row. And there's some, you know, um, you know, some there's, you know, it's a little bit contentious, but. But let's just say it's a beautiful row of houses. And, and, when and, that, and for folks who don't know what that is, uh, Doctor's Row is reported to be or is, was uh, a row of prominent African-American doctors' homes. Is that right? Well, I think it was probably more of just a row of prominent African-Americans' homes. Under, understood. Yep. Um, and so, you know, but the, but the point of me bringing it up is that, you know, Instead of seeing that as a moment where, and, and Jewelers Row and other things as a moment where like, wait, let's put in some kind of citywide protection. It's, well, let's just work on this one, you know, we'll get this one little, this block designated, but we're not going to go as far as, you know, maybe that, okay, maybe we don't have a demolition review, but maybe you can nominate a building like in DC, for example, um, a building could still be nominated even if a demolition permit were filed. So it's not exactly like a demo delay, but it, it allows you to 
try to get the building designated before a certain, it's like they have to do it within 90 days. Um, right. So it had, you know, it's like the same thing with like permit issuance, you know, it has to be issued within a certain number of days. And so if the building could be designated in that time, then they could stop the demolition and other cities have other mechanisms to do this um, that they aren't necessarily called like a demo delay, but they're like, you know, they're just, you know, processes that uh, allow you to, you know, sort of examine what's being demolished. Understood. And we just, we just don't have that here. And we don't have, as I said, the political will to, to implement something like that. In 2016, in an interview with Philadelphia Magazine, you called the Philadelphia Historic Commission a do-nothing commission. Um, do you still hold that belief? I, they're not a, you know, they have changed a lot. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that it was ever as much the, the commissioners itself um, as more of like a staff issue. Right. So, you know, a leadership issue, um, maybe, and maybe that's the fault of the person who's in charge of the commission, or maybe that's their higher ups telling them, you know, where preservation falls in the pecking order. Um, you know, that I don't know, but um, I would say that, you know, it's like in it's like when you they're going to take the they're eventually going to remove the Art Deco cars off of Gerard Avenue. Um, you know, that wouldn't happen in New Orleans. So why is it happening in Philadelphia? It's a general lack. It's an overall lack of uh, municipal leadership and, you know, a cohesive approach to preserving, you know, the historic character of the city. Right. We, as you say, are doing it piecemeal here and there, but we're really there is no citywide universal standardized um, plan for preservation. Is that right? There is not. No. Yeah. What would you say in in the most recently, I suppose, was one of the successes of preservation in the city? Um, what was well, the best the best of what we've what you've seen? I mean, in terms of designating in my, like what I've done, I mean, a recent best for me was design was the designation of the Chestnut Street East Historic District, which includes the 600, 700 and 800 blocks of Chestnut Street, um, which, which are remarkable blocks uh, architecturally uh, known as the first Wall Street in the United States. And uh, many of those old bank buildings facades still exist, but go on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the row and just the row in the 700 block is, is a remarkable survivor. Um, and there's a few, you know, sort of newer built, newer facades in there, but overall, you know, that was a really important designation. Um, but it's a designation that my like grandmother should have done, not me coming along from Texas. It's literally a block from independence hall. And, you know, we're in there sort of quibbling over whether it should be designated or not. And that's and it's all been on the National Register for years. And of course, Kenny had tried to, to before he was mayor, tried to put um, all the National Register properties on the local register. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, so another success I would call um, the William and Leticia Stillhouse, um, which was a major win, despite it having a sort of like the old facade was covered by like a 1920s facade. And it was one of the most active underground railroad uh, way stations in the region. Where is that they located? Bring, that's Where? on Delhi Street. Um, I'd have to get you the exact address, but it's between like, um, it's between South Street and Bainbridge Street on Delhi Street or Delhi Street, however you say it. Delhi, um, Delhi, Del 600 block. 
in, in Bella right. Vista. Yep, I know exactly where it is. Yep, right behind. And it was uh, the precursor to Cheney University. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And it, um, you know, it, William and Leticia still, you know, they lived in that house from 1850 to like 1850 to 55. And they would have been regularly violating federal laws like the Fugitive Slave Act because they were bringing people in. And it would have been people like Harriet Tubman that stood on those marble steps. And that was literally within weeks of being demolished. Uh, you know, the owner was going to demolish it and they just hadn't filed their demolition permit. Um, and fortunately, they didn't fight it. So, you know, that was, you know, well, a win. That's great. What, what would you say was some of the worst um, you know, losses for me, I mean, um, you know, aside from places like Jewelers Row and, 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 and Jewelers Row isn't completely lost, but, um, you know, one of the ones, you know, in parallel, you know, sort of a parallel significance was like the Henry Minton house, which was, uh, 204 South 12th street. Um, he was mentioned by W.E.B. Du Bois as, um, like one of the most important black caterers in the mid, you know, civil war period in Philadelphia, um, had his own restaurant, bought his own house, the house at twelve at two hundred four South Twelfth Street, um, and was very prominent. And you know, back then, catering was one of the few things that African Americans could do to make money um, and to become wealthy. And um, he had he was also a, um, an abolitionist. Um, and so um, John Brown, um, the famous um, you know white abolitionist. Um, had stayed the night there at that house on his way to Harper's Ferry for the raid. And of course, wow. you know, it also wow. had like a replacement facade on the front of like a federal style townhouse and they didn't designate it and it was demolished. So, you know, um, that's a pretty big loss. I think another other losses, I think, are like you said um, a few minutes ago, there are all these industrial properties and there are these commercial areas and, you know, if you think about like our waterfront, so much of it is destroyed because of the highway and um, even the, the old, um, you know, piers that uh, only a couple of the grand pier sheds are protected. Um, and if you think about like Fishtown, the waterfront over there, you know, until about 10 years ago, there were still a lot of industrial buildings along there, like along Fairmount Avenue oh, yes. Oh, yes. that could have been like our meatpacking district. Um, you know, it could have been like the part of the waterfront that where you had like overbuilds and you kind of incorporated that industrial character. But I'd say that like almost all of that stuff has been demolished, you know, like just since I've been here. And, and I think that's a huge planning loss, you know. And to put up, up uh, sharpen the point a little bit uh, for folks to understand when something is ultimately designated uh, by the Historic Commission as protected, that doesn't mean you can't develop it in any form or fashion. It just means you have certain guidelines um, that you need to follow in order to protect the exterior of the property. Is that right? That is absolutely right. And you remember the the where we were, where we met at the historical commission at one point. There was a everyone you know thinks that I'm kind of a radical, but if you remember that tiny little house, you know all I designated it of that tiny little house was the very front part of it, the front block that we knew was the oldest. And, um, you know, that was a, you know, there are other historical commissions that would have not accepted that they would have wanted the entire thing, the whole lot, you know, like, um, and ours is, you know, pretty lenient. What I hear from some folks is that it seems as though the historic commission will pursue the low hanging fruit. 
um, the smaller owner or investor and the big splashy development towers that get all the media attention and social media and local news by the bigger developers, the commission looks the other way or puts a half-hearted effort into pushing back. Is What are your thoughts on that? Is that accurate? I, I do think it is accurate because, you know, the reality is, is that, um, you know, they think of everything, at least like the the, sta- the commission leadership and the city itself, you know, thinks of everything from a legal standpoint. Um, and so they think of, you know, well, are the, who's likely to appeal this decision? Who's likely to, you know, fight this designation legally? You know, so the small owner is probably not likely to do that. Whereas the, you know, bigger owner, it's like when you think of all the recent hardship cases that have been um, granted, you know, it isn't, you know, you know, you're not seeing like, you know, the little old lady from Fishtown getting the windows in her wooden house legalized, um, you know, with her new, you know, vinyl windows. Uh, you know, that's not what you're seeing in a hardship process. You're seeing, you know, the University of Pennsylvania being granted, uh, you know, financial hardship or, you know, a large institution or a big developer. And so, you know, I don't know that that leads to the best uh, look for the historical commission. And I get it. Maybe on paper, all of that does pan out. Um, You know, maybe it isn't feasible to reuse the building, Um, but maybe but it's also, you know, is it is it actually a positive thing that we're granting hardship to, you know, some of the wealthiest developers and institutions in the city? That seems very um, you know, that does not seem right to most no, people. It's certainly inequitable. It's definitely inequitable. That's for sure. The Dilworth house on Washington square that was built by mayor Dilworth and occupied by him as sort of a message to the people of society Hill at the time that this is, and will be a clean, safe and secure place to live back when it wasn't. Um, is that protected? It, it is protected. Um, I don't remember if it was individually designated or if it was part of, you know, the Society Hill district um, because they did go back and, and add a lot of the modern stuff to the Society Hill district. And I don't remember if it goes over there, but it is protected to some degree. And, um, you know, that was sort of a fight, um, which I think, you know, the outcome of, you know, of course, like I would love to see everything. I mean, the historian in me would love to see like Philadelphia as it was 19 before the second world war and frozen in time. But I'm a realist. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a pragmatist. So like to me that they're keeping the front of the house and then adding, you know, a, 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 a larger building at the back, it isn't a dream scenario for me as a historian, but it's still better than losing the building. And I think that's what we, we don't get a lot of in Philadelphia. It's either, you know, they preserve the building and maybe add something to it a little bit, but, or it's a total demolition. There's and nothing in between. Exactly. And I think, you know, and maybe, and maybe that's because you do have, there are, there's the mindset of, well, if you're not going to preserve the whole building, then you, then why bother? But to me in a city of, of, you know, as the Brits say, terrorist buildings where everything has like is connected, it's easy to do, to save facades and to add, you know, floors in the back and, I mean, it's not easy, but it's it's feasible. And from a design perspective, it doesn't look like, you know, maybe if it were just a freestanding building with a massive addition. 
Um, so and I think it matters to the streetscape as well it, as the, for the pedestrian, uh, just for the casual observer. It really does. And I think that's where we when you think about the fact that we have all of these amazing buildings like on Chestnut and Walnut and outside of the Rittenhouse Square district, almost none of the commercial buildings are protected at all. And we have some of the best commercial architecture in the country. Right. Um, and shocking. I mean, you know how that can go. I mean, because you've seen it happen everywhere else. Yeah. Let's talk different neighborhoods for a minute. Uh, Society Hill is, generally speaking, a protected district. Is that right? That's correct. And Old City as well. And Old City as well. And Rittenhouse. And Rittenhouse. They're obvious, right? The Tony neighborhoods that, you know, quote unquote, deserve being protected. What about places like North Central Philadelphia or deep South Philadelphia? What's being protected there? What about the immigrant experience and the fabric row on Fourth Street? Is yeah, I mean, any effort, any effort whatsoever to look into those um, often forgotten areas. I mean, the if you looked at the staff, uh, the Historical Commission staff's uh, 2035 plan, they wrote these memos for the plan. They, they might mention you know, those as potential districts. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if Fabric Row is, but of course, you know, as you know, like when you think of Fabric Row or the Italian market um, or any of the uh, areas that, you know, maybe they're not, they're, they're obviously not preserved in a pristine way, but they are, you know, really important, um, significant uh streets and and places if you will i mean they're they're actually places you you get a very strong feeling when you walk into the italian market you get a very strong feeling when you walk into uh fabric row and even if it ceases to be fabric row it still has a, a strong architectural and um you know commercial uh feeling of you know the late 19th and early 20th century maybe even there's older stuff in there and there was a house on fabric road that was demolished not that long ago it was like probably a 200 year old little brick house and That's um you know just it just in the dormer was like not quite centered and it just looked like you know old vernacular philadelphia and uh you know to see that be demolished and then i don't know what's you know, I don't want to know what's risen in its place. It's it's just it's not only heartbreaking, it's 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 irrecoverable. Like once yeah. this stuff's gone, we're done. I would think that it would be pretty easy, uh, clerically speaking, legislatively speaking, to take everything that's already on the national registry and just duplicate that list for local protection by the Philadelphia Historic Commission. Right. It, it, I would think it's cut and paste as far as you would areas. Think. Why, why has that not happened? There were a few people uh, at the time that Kenny proposed his bill that, and they were in, you know, the preservation community, I think the historical commission and um, you know, the, like the staff and then, um, you know, maybe somebody, you know, at the state level um, had told them that, you know, that, 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 that really wasn't a good idea. And, you know, that that could discourage people from, you know, you know, putting their building on the National Register. And then it also was there was I remember the other excuse I heard was that, you know, there were some buildings that were just put on the National Register so they could get historic tax credits. Now, only about 
a fraction of a percent of all the buildings on the National Register actually get tax credit. So that argument itself, I mean, people in Philadelphia, especially like in government, they love to come up with something like that and they expect no one to challenge it. The fact is Lancaster is uh, like, I think the whole city, I think is a national district and they have a local law that prohibits demolition of any building that's in that in that larger district. And then of course their core downtown, you know, where they're most, or, you know, like, it's just like you said, society health protected, their core downtown is protected, but the neighborhoods that are like a little, you know, surrounding that they're, they're just kind of protected as part of this, you know, this sort of uh, demolition, you know, delay, you know, kind of legislation that they have to protect. It's sort of a planning tool to, you know, control demolition of historic resources. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, um, you, you would think it would be easy. And the crazy thing is it would only really double, it would double the number of things we have designated. Um, but it would still leave us below the national average in terms of large cities protecting historic buildings, which just makes it even more absurd that they couldn't just take that step to do it. You know, well, again, in arguably the most historic city in America. It, it really, you know, I like to, it's the, it, Philadelphia has this embarrassment of riches and they think, you know, people, I guess, think that, oh, well, th- or maybe they're so used to it. The people who, that are from, you know, most of the people being from here, it's the only thing they've known. So it's like, for me as an outsider, you know, there aren't many places like Philadelphia. Um, That's right. For sure. And there, there seems to be a lot. I did, a, I did a little bit of research on houses of worship, churches, um, more churches than synagogues, but churches for sure of all stripes. Uh, a lot of them from pre-Civil War and Civil War era. era. Uh, and almost all of them have underlying zoning classifications as residential single-family homes. And so what te- that tells me that at any point, uh, without protection from the Historic Commission, uh, a church built in 1845 uh, can be demolished and replaced with a dozen or two dozen townhomes um, built in 2023. Yeah. And that's actually probably some of the most, those are, those are like incredibly lucrative development projects. So that really, you know, places those, you know, because because there's like not a lot of new houses. I mean, there are now really there are, but you know, it's not, you know, their new houses are not as common because, you know, it's an old city. And so um, I feel like that places those kind of buildings in a category of, of real endangerment. Um, I, would, I would think that they would be. Uh, the preservationist in me is horrified by the, the idea that we could lose churches, um, houses of worship built in the early to mid 1800s and, right. repl- and replaced with homes. But the zoning attorney in me says, if we do protect these churches, then the congregation, when they need money uh, and place the property up for sale, won't get nearly as much in value uh, with the protection because a developer can no longer buy it and build homes as a matter of right after demolishing because of that protection, the, the value to the pastor or the, the, the 
you know, the churchgoers, the congregation, the value is actually lessened. What do you say to that? Well, I say that, I mean, I, that, that gets into a whole conversation about nonprofits and, and, you know, to me, if you're a nonprofit, um, your primary goal, you know, I get it. You have a mission and you need money to support that mission. Um, but whether you can get, you know, a million or a million five, you know, to me is that's, you're not exactly thinking about the, the consequences of, you know, for the future, you know, the consequences of selling for the top price uh, and how that will affect the neighborhood that you were in for so long and how you would, and how that would, you know, change, you know, just this historic building that it could be lost. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, was done to sort of ease that a bit was, and it, and it isn't, and it still doesn't, um, wouldn't be as lucrative, um, but is that when one of the few good things to come out of the task force was this zoning classification, basically that allows, you know, buildings over a certain size to be, you know, are automatically sort of approved for apartments. Um, you know, there was a, a church I did in Germantown that um, I nominated it. And then that, that, you know, that, that, that passed afterwards um, after I nominated it, but it has recently been turned into apartments and, you know, the stone has been cleaned and it was going to be demolished. Like I had to fight to keep that from being demolished. Um, it was going to be demolished by the, you know, under the ownership of the congregation because they couldn't afford to fix the tower. And there was really no congregation anymore, but it was, you know, just a few people that owned it. And, and now it's been, been turned into apartments by right. Now there are some neighbors that are a little annoyed that they're going to have all these parking, uh, you know, possible parking issues. Um, and I get that, but I also think that it's an incredible, it's incredibly um, wasteful and irresponsible to allow, you know, a beautiful stone church with a tower to be just demolished and thrown in the garbage, you know, and, and at the end of the day, that lot would have been filled with houses that probably had one parking space and that would have created another kind of parking problem. So sure. to me, this was a win. And I think that zoning, I think we need more, you know, things like that to help preserve buildings um, and more and more flexibility. I mean, you know, not everything needs to be treated like it's Independence Hall. Right. What's your wish list moving forward? Let's talk about the future. What would you well, like to see protected? You're my wish list. How long is this program? <laughs> <laughs> We're just about um, wrap. We're wrapping it up. Okay. Well, I'd say, you know, I'd say one, you know, major missing piece. We've already kind of covered this is just more protection for uh, historic commercial and industrial corridors. Um, and whether that's traditional designation or some other kind of designation, you know, at this moment, all we have it to protect from demolition is the historical commission's, um, you know, the, the standard designation. Even if you did a conservation district, you can still demolish any undesignated building, and you know, any building that hasn't been designated by the historical commission, you can demolish it. So that doesn't conserve the buildings, you know, the, the existing buildings. Um, so I think, uh, you know, as you, you know, some parts of South Street even have wonderful buildings and, it, you know, they're adjacent blocks, nice. um, but almost nothing is protected. And, um, you know, these are wonderful commercial areas that like give residents of Philadelphia a, a great experience. They give tourists a great experience. Um, you know, none of that has to be maintained with a fine tooth comb, but with some level of preservation, we can keep all that stuff. We can amplify, we can let this development boom, you know, really improve what we have instead of 
causing it to lose what we have. So, you know, the same, uh, you know, Germantown Avenue, of course, is, is I'm a bias because I live up in Germantown. That being designated is on my wish list. Um, you know, I've worked with the uh, with CCRA to nominate a number of buildings um, on West Chestnut Street and West Walnut Street. So hopefully, you know, one of these days, um, you know, there will be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit bigger push to designate more of the commercial buildings along there. Um, and, you know, seeing those National Register properties protected would be a huge win. It would put us in a different place. To me, anything that's mentioned in, the, in those memos that the staff wrote, you know, that, that's, that's they're sort of um, attached to the 2035 plan. Why can't we go ahead and put a demolition hold on those properties? You know, doing those sorts of things um, to protect, you know, at least what we already know about it would be a, it would put us in a completely different place. And, yeah, you know, sure. I think that's critical and we, but we, do we have the political will to do it? I don't know that we do. Well, things are about to change in the city, uh, city government. So we, I guess we'll wait and see. They could certainly benefit from listening to you and some of your ideas. You mentioned West Chestnut street, West Walnut street, uh, well-known for, the uh, their restaurants and their eateries uh, when you're out and about this is the last question for the night for the day when you're out and about and you want to grab something to eat quintessential philly meal where do you go um well there's the there's the uh gosh that's a hard one i do go to la Coloma a lot and they're always in reused spaces so like the la Coloma in fishtown i love that space it's and it's 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 not a it's it's not even an architecturally significant building. It's just a vernacular, you know, shed. I mean, it's a brick building, but you know, as they would have called it back in the day, you know, it's an industrial shed that's been turned into a coffee shop. And the interior of it is, you know, it's a wonderful. It's like a industrial church. You know, um, it has that feeling. And so, to me, going into those spaces, um, you know, and and seeing people in there enjoying their coffee or their food. Um, you know, that's, that's to me wonderful because okay. it, it really shows how not only can you keep the shell, but you can also make, you know, use little pieces of that interior to really, you know, make a fabulous space. Well, I have not been to La Coloma in Fishtown. Uh, I will get there for sure. I uh, used to frequent the one in Rittenhouse Square and uh, I'll definitely check it out and the building and the old shed that it's in. Oscar, Am I allowed you. to ask you what your favorite? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but thank you for for joining us today on Philly Built, uh, Oscar Beiser. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you so much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, so do we. Take good care now. You too. And that's today's show. Today, folks, thank you for joining us. If you have any interest in nominating a property for historic preservation, you can call Historic Commission staff at 215-686-7660. You can email them at preservation at phila.gov, or you can just go to phila.gov and search nomination forms for historic designation. We'll see you next time on the season finale of Philly Built.